Injury takes you out of the game. It's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Roma Metanir, and you're listening to Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Align Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm joined by both Callum Williams and Kendra D. St. Aubin. It's an all-star episode here uh, following Minnesota United's exit from the playoffs all too soon. Um, I'm going to start with each of you a little bit. Cal, you are um, a man on a mission across the United States going every which way over the past week. How is your energy level and enthusiasm given that you have gone from Miami to Portland to Kansas city and then back to Miami, I think, is that right? Yeah. My, my enthusiasm is, is never going to dwindle Steve. I'm a very fortunate individual to be a football commentator and I'm sure Kinder will agree. We're we're very fortunate to do what we do for a living. So my, my enthusiasm will will never die down for for this job and the sport at all. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a shame that Minnesota United are are out of the playoffs at at the first hurdle. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll dive deeper into the tactical side of it here shortly, but uh, no, all good. Uh, Just delighted to be doing another podcast with you two. Excellent. I, I miss it. We, we actually got to do a podcast in person, uh, Cal, which was a real treat. Now we're back on, on Zoom for the time being, but, um, but we'll be back in person again soon. So uh, Kendra, you, how long were you in Portland? I can't remember. Were, did you fly out with the team or did you come later? I did. I was on the team plane on Friday. So Friday, whenever it was that we got there till uh, we flew out on Sunday night after the match. Yeah. How was Portland? Uh, it's one of my favorite cities, honestly, having been there now like three times, I guess. It's just great. I love the vibe. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because um, I, I appreciate the vibe too. I love downtowns where you can walk to everything. Yep. Um, I think that's always, and it's always a mild temperate climate. So even when you're going in November, you know, it's going to be crisp and chilly and, and maybe rain. And we are really lucky not to have any rain. Um, it had a little bit different of vibe knowing the the situation that's been going on there the last 18 months or so um, in the downtown area with a lot of the buildings boarded up and whatnot. And, and sure. you know, the stores are open, but the outside is boarded up. So we can, we can all appreciate that having been in and around the twin cities. So, um, but the energy was so great. I had a fabulous egg sandwich on, on Saturday morning from some food truck in the square, you know, just like that kind of stuff where I love being able to just step out the door and walk to something yeah. and, um, and, and just get some fresh air. So uh, Portland's a great city. The river is awesome. If you get for, you know, to go for a run down by the river and, um, and then even where the training facility is when we took the bus mm-hmm. out there and I've been there a few times, you know, going up that hill and it's just those big pine trees and you kind of feel like you're climbing out into the wilderness, um, to get to the, the, training facility. So 
I'd say from a Portland perspective, um, a good trip. And I always appreciate that city. Yeah, I love uh, I love the pine trees. The timbers are very accurately named. It's nice how, um, you know, one thing about the Twin Cities, and I love the Twin Cities. It's my home and it's fantastic. Uh, there's n- immediately around the Twin Cities, there's not a lot of, of stuff. It's sort of like the Twin Cities. And then it's kind of like you need to go far away to get to something uh, to, to else. In Portland, there is that sense of like even just going out of the downtown across the bridge over the highway towards Providence Park, you see like a hill rising up with timbers on it. And it's, it, I, I love that. I love that vibe. Um, did you, was your fried egg sandwich from uh, fried egg? I'm in love. I think that was the name of the, uh, the yes. food truck. <laughs> yes, it was fabulous. And yeah. it was, um, I got, I was up at the crack of dawn because I was still on central time. So, sure. I mean, I got there before there was any line, but it lived up to the building. It was fabulous. <laughs> so I have, I have no complaints about the food trucks out there. Yeah. Food truck, food trucks. Excellent. Let's, uh, let's get into something we have a few more complaints about probably, uh, Portland versus Minnesota in round one of the playoffs there. Um, let's, I have a couple different things I want to hit on. If you guys have anything you want to sort of, uh, uh, address just just feel f- free to bring it up but I'm going to start uh, Kendra asking you uh, the big thing obviously the big change that happened heading into the game was missing Tyler Miller um, and, you know who's out he tested positive with COVID couldn't go with the group uh, Dane St. Clair who obviously stepped in and did great for the team and, and was the starting goalkeeper at the start of this year um, how big was uh, missing Tyler Miller in this game you know a tactically B, just in terms of the continuity that comes with having, you know, the, the goalkeeper and the back line be intact from the end of the season. Well, for me, I didn't think, uh, you know, when you first hear it, you're thinking, wow, it's a goalkeeper. You know, that's a pretty important position, um, even compared to a field player. Um, I didn't think Tyler Miller not being in there was as critical as Dane having not played in a match since May and, and not, not even about the own four start because I even talked to the goalkeeper coach Stuart Kerr um, prior to the game on Sunday. And he said, look, like his match form, his game shape, if you will, in regards to a goalkeeper will come back to him relatively quickly. As far as reaction time goes, make a few nice saves in the beginning, um, you know, play simple out of the back. Don't worry about that. But from a, a talent perspective, no qualms, no doubts, no question about Dane Miller, Dane Miller, <laughs> that'd be sweet. Dane St. Clair <laughs> stepping in between the, you know, in between the pipes and playing goalkeeper for this game. So my only concern was purely that, that he hadn't played in a real game since then. And that to me would be a, a tall task. I think the team had all the confidence in the world in Dane St. Clair. And if you think about this back line and some of the changes they've had to endure throughout the season, whether due to injury or international duty, and then even in the midfield position right in front with, you know, whether it's Hassani Dawson, Will Trapp was the real consistent piece there, but whether it was Hassani or Ozzy or Ja'Cory Hayes at times, um, I think that they are used to fluctuation and they have all the confidence in the world in each other. So the goalkeeper kind of was the same, same point. And Stuart Kerr said to me, like in the beginning, you know, I mean, the fact that Dane was the the odd man out after the own four start, it wasn't necessarily because of Dane St. Clair. It was just the team needed a change when you have that kind of a start. So it wasn't like a demotion on Dane St. Clair. I mean, he's even been called into the Canadian men's national team in between those times. So um, yeah, it's a big, it's big news, but I think it's bigger news for everyone outside looking in than how we maybe felt, or at least I maybe felt on the inside sort of knowing the scenario. 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly feel like we saw how how good Dane can be, and certainly his ceiling is still even higher than it is than where he is right now. Um, so I think there wasn't a question about that. I, Adrian Heath after the game also said, you know, I, I, there wasn't really anything that I saw in terms of the, those goals that necessarily Tyler Miller would have made those saves. Obviously, we'll talk about Sebastian Blanco a little bit later on. He was in his bag, I believe, is the phrase that they use. But um, for you, Cal, what, what did you see? Um, is, is that your feeling is sort of like Kendra there? Yeah, to echo what Kendra said, there wasn't too much of a difference really, was there? In actual fact, I think playing Dane St. Clair in certain situations throughout the season would have benefited Minnesota United a little bit more because I think he's much better with a ball at feet. There were several times for the game against the Portland Timbers where he clipped the ball into the channels, he'd roll the ball out into the centre half or roll it to Homo Metenier. Um, and he looks a little more comfortable playing out of the back. I don't think that's anything new for Dane St. Clair, but it, it perhaps may have taken Minnesota a little moment to adjust because um, more often than not, Tyler Miller is somebody who prefers a direct pass. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I, I do think long-term, though, I, th I think the preference would be to play out of the back. So I think it gave Minnesota United something else to, to consider. Um, Dane St. Clair made the saves he, he was supposed to make. There was one particular save that he made from Jimmy Chara on the edge of the penalty area that I thought was a good save. It was a good height for him, but he's still got to get across and push it away. Um, I, I thought he was fine. I, I had no qualms with Dane St. Clair at all. I, I, of course, like Kendra and many others, I'm sure, when we first got the news about Tyler Miller being unavailable, that the first thing that comes to mind is, is Dane St. Clair sharp enough? Mm -hmm. um, he can be match fit. He can be okay to play. Um, but if you've not played in a competitive game since March, um, and Kendra alluded to it, uh, in the build-up, um, it, it's very different than, than training. You know, uh, being in, in a match day situation uh, is very, very different to, to actually, um, you know, <laughs> being on, on, on the training field and whatnot, you know. But um, that, that was my, my original concern was how sharp is Dane St. Clair going to be? Uh, but I thought he he looked about as sharp as he possibly could have been, having not played since May, as we've already said. Um, but really, Steve, I didn't notice a tremendous drop off at all. Yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 a good problem to have. There's plenty of other goalkeepers, um, you know, backup goalkeepers who, if they had been pressed into that service at that moment, I would have been more concerned about uh, than Dane St. Clair. I still feel like he's probably the future of goalkeeping for Minnesota United. So, you know, no problem there. Um, I did pick up when I was while I was in Portland. I went to Powell's Books, City of Books, which is a fantastic bookstore, and uh, I noticed a title by uh, Rude Gullet. Uh, called How to Watch Soccer. And uh, I was reading that uh, the night before the game. And one of the first chunks is he talks about the psychological impact of conceding a goal right before the half. And he had an example from, I can't remember which, which competition it was, but saying how, you know, um, it, it looked pretty even. You concede that goal going into the tunnel, and then every player is just thinking about that. It seemed like that's kind of what came to pass there with giving up a goal right before the half. Cal, how, how much of an impact do you think that was just psychologically after being up a goal on the road and then, and then not being able to carry it into the, into the half. Yeah. It's, it's the worst thing that can happen psychologically, Steve, for sure. Particularly given the fact that the Portland Timbers were knocking on the door frantically prior to scoring as well. I think had Minnesota United have staved them off and, and kept them at bay, I think they would have gone in at halftime feeling a lot more confident about themselves. But, you know, it, it's one of those situations where, the manager in, in that instance then has to completely rethink his team talk for the most part anyway, not, not every case, but, but for the most part. Um, and it did, I, I think it knocked the stuffing out of Minnesota, to be honest. And, and like I said, it, you could tell there was a goal coming or at least an exceptional chance was coming because the, the Timbers were continuously 
uh, testing uh, and interrogating the, the Minnesota United back line. Um, there was a chance before Mabiala scored that, that he that he very nearly scored prior to that. Mm-hmm. And had it not have been for the intervention of Bakay Dibasi, then then perhaps the Timbers would have gotten themselves on the score sheet a little earlier, which may very well have benefited Minnesota actually. But um, I, I think. Um, in, in that instance, you, you, you never want to concede right before half time. Um, it, it's happened to, to teams all, all over the world. It, it's no different in Major League Soccer um, because it feels as though you've you've lost everything that you've worked for in the opening 45 minutes. And you know, like I said, I, I thought Minnesota were the better team in the opening 10 to 15 minutes, but after that, it was really all Portland Timbers, and, and the majority uh, of the the first half was was spent in the Minnesotan half. Um, they were creative. Sebastian Blanco caused all sorts of problems, dragging people all over the place out of position, picking the ball up out wide, uh, dropping deep, looking for the ball. Um, and, and then uh, Felipe Mora, I, I thought, played off the shoulder very well as well. Uh, but Jimmy Chara, again, um, doing <laughs> similar to, to Blanco as well, sort of um, almost not, not necessarily playing a free role, but but certainly about as close to a free role as you can. Um, and I think that caused real problems for Minnesota United. And um, yeah, look, it, it, it's not ideal to concede at, at that time. And I, I think it just gave Portland Timbers the, the lift that they were looking for before the, the halftime interval. Yeah. Kendra, you, you've had experience with that. You know, I mean, as a player in terms of, you know, I, I guess I don't know if in your career how many goals teams you were on conceded right before the half. But what's that experience of, of you sort of the difference between fighting off a challenge like that and going in up a goal versus conceding it? And then you have that 15 minutes to just kind of that's all you're thinking about is, is, is conceding that goal versus in a game, you just kind of move on from a goal. Uh, that halftime gap really comes at a tough moment there for players, it seems like. I think it's incredibly deflating as a player. Um, and even if the game had been 0-0, let's say, on the road up to the point, maybe Minnesota hadn't scored a goal early in that match. But let's say it had even been 0-0. You're on the road in a playoff game against a really difficult Portland Timbers team that had been knocking on the door. And you would have felt like you had gone into the halftime like you had the lead because mm-hmm. of the way you had been staving off that kind of pressure. And that sends you into the locker room with confidence. And I can just imagine listening to the players and or Adrian Heath and what the conversation would be like if you hadn't allowed that goal just before the half. Um, and then, and then Cal's right that the tone of the halftime speech completely changes. And we've all seen that teams respond different ways at, at different moments to what kind of talking they need, you know, and Adrian Heath is reading that room as far as do they need to be laid into, or do they need a pep talk or, do they, you know, what do they need in this moment? And it's on, the coaching staff and or the captains or the players to, to feel that, to read the room and figure out what would be best going forward. And I think that it's, it's incredibly deflating as a player to allow that goal just before the half. And it completely changes the dynamic. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about this, this team and, and something I said, um, you know, when I tweeted yesterday morning after kind of having time to soak in the, the loss and after we got home and everything was, And Adrian, he said the word, he said inconsistent. This group has been too inconsistent on the season. And I like how they came out in the second half and didn't respond to getting scored on at the Portland Timbers. And then the week, the the two weeks prior, when you play LA Galaxy and you have the two nothing lead and you allow that goal late in the half and you come out in the second half with a sense of purpose. And I know they still allowed goals and that LA Galaxy game was back and forth. And I get that. But ultimately, the energy was different. And this goes back to sometimes I just felt like going into certain games or even into into halves that you didn't know what 
team you were going to get, what energy, what vibe, what quality, because it was a little too inconsistent. And so I think um, it just, it, in the second half, it just wasn't enough. And then when you allow a goal early in the second half from the Portland Timbers, it's an absolute dagger. And you knew that was a team that was not going away. And, and part of the reason I knew that they are just flying right now is they beat Austin three to nothing at home in the final game of the season in a game that they didn't even need to get a result. They were going to be in fourth position hosting a playoff game no matter what. And they came out and were not going to, you know, lay down for that match, not going to rest guys. They were going to come in with a sense of purpose. And that's exactly what they looked like, you know, um, most of the first half against Minnesota and the entire second half. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to give credit to the Timbers. This, I mean, I, the, the the certainly we'll get into Minnesota side of it as well. Like they, they could have played uh, better by far, but also you got to give credit to the Timber to a Timbers team that I think generally um, has functioned best with um, uh, you know sort of counterattacking, defending, striking on that to come back from down a goal, and they did it in a very measured way. It didn't feel like panic at all. It felt like they gradually pushed the game further and further into Minnesota's half until they were just knocking on the door, as you guys have, have, have both said, and Sebastian Blanco becoming that man, you know, he's that guy in that moment, uh, it being the number 10, stepping up, doing everything for that team. Um, he looks fantastic. He's uh, he's a great player. He, um, he complains a lot, but that's not really out of, out of character for number, for number tens. I feel like, I feel like I said, a lot of them have that, that going for them, but, uh, but Kendra, just how, especially that second strike from Blanco. That was just a guy going, well, I'm feeling it. Let's try it. And then it worked. It was, uh, it was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, we talked quite a bit, didn't we, before the game about, and this was sort of the narrative all week. And I know I was pushing this narrative was the battle of the number tens and not the battle against each other, but who is going to have more of an imprint and put their stamp on the game and make an impression on it. And Cal and I talked about it even in the pregame show, just saying like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the number 10 has to get on the score sheet with a goal and an assist, but how do they affect the game? Whether that's pulling somebody else on the other team out of position because you're attracting so much attention, you're you're attracting a double or, a, you know, a double or even a triple team at times, which we've seen Reynoso fight through or Blanco fight through and then finding the open player or whether that means you're, you're attracting so much attention that other players on your team have to step up because they have the space and the time. And I think that Sebastian Blanco took this game by the scruff of the neck and was not going to let his team lose. And there were even times and moments in the first half um, that they were looked. Sebastian Blanco looked incredibly frustrated. Mm -hmm. They weren't keeping possession at times. They were turning the ball over. Their breakout wasn't really smooth in transition. And he wanted a player to run one way and he's passing the ball, like just not on the same page with some of his teammates. And I thought, okay, Minnesota's got them frustrated a little bit. Let's see if they can keep this, you know, kind of going and, and cause them to kind of continue to spiral out of control. And in the meantime, Minnesota can go and get another. And instead it was the opposite, but Blanco was just phenomenal. And, and we said this before, he's not a true number 10 that he likes to stay central. He wants to be out wide. He likes to face the field. He likes his back on the sideline facing the field. He doesn't like to play, you know, where he can't see everything. So he'll drift side to side, but his teammates have learned now that he's come back into the mix, how to play with him. Jimmy Chara floats both sides. You know, I think Aspria found a little life in the second half. And um, so, I mean, Sebastian Blanco is the catalyst for that team. And he is the one that really drove that team to victory 
in that match. And it wasn't just the goals. It was, it was his ability on the ball and his willingness to do the work. And yes, he falls down a lot and he complains a lot, but I, I think you're spot on in that. It's not uncharacteristic of number tens because right. they're usually fouled quite a bit. <laughs> yes. I, I would disagree, Kay, in the sense that, that I think um, that you don't think Blanco's a, a natural number 10 and, and he prefers to play that. I, I seriously think having seen him play um, in England with West Bromwich Albion and, and his spell in, in the Ukraine as well, um, for, for me, he's, he is a natural number 10 but he was forced out wide because of Diego Valeri being so wonderful over the course of the last couple of years with Portland Timbers. And I think now Blanco actually has the opportunity to play this number 10. We are actually seeing him now at his best. I mean, since he's come back from the injury, he's been absolutely flawless. Um, and, and I think we, we got a prime example of what Sebastian Blanco is as a number 10 on Sunday afternoon, unfortunately, against Minnesota. <laughs> well, I guess I'm not I'm not saying that he's not a natural number 10, but when we think of number 10s, we think of them being in the middle of the field. And I know that right. position has changed. You know, we, we like the old school number 10 stays central, doesn't drift out wide. So when I say like a natural number 10, I just mean like he likes to find the space out wide and play. And I, maybe he got more comfortable there because yeah. of Larry forced him out into those positions because of the way Valeri was playing, he had to go out wide in, in those spaces and he came, you know, became more accustomed to it. I mean, mm. clearly he's a playmaker, um, like a number 10, he can find the final pass and still be a scoring threat. But I think that over the last couple of years, um, he's, he's liked to be in the wider spaces, not a winger, but not a stay dead center number 10. Yeah, I mean, I think it seems like one of those things where he has a natural skill set and then they, they it's been used in different ways and it's added to his his toolkit. And so he's just got more ways that he can do that. We've seen we've seen Reynoso flood out pretty wide before, um, you know, to pick up pick up the ball and sort of pull the team in different directions, pull the opposing defense in different directions. Um, so speaking speaking of, of Reynoso, I mean, the um, going into the game, Cal and I talked about it. I know I'm sure you guys talked about it as well. You know, the over the course of the season, you know, you sort of become accustomed to the back line is this, the midfield is this. The question has always been those those front four. Uh, and what are they going to bring on any given day? And it always, you know, this is always a game in the playoffs. You're going to need Reynoso, Lud, Fragapane, and Unu, or at least at least two of those four, you know, I would say to show up big and 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 contribute enough to to win the game. And they just they didn't really do that. Um, and some of that is on, on them. Some of that is, you know, there's, again, we've talked about with fours, there's only so much you can do if you're not getting the ball, um, if you're not getting touches and things like that. But Reynoso, I was looking into some stats. I had, I didn't dig super deep, but um, Reynoso only won 33% of his duels. Fragapane only won 36% of his duels. They were taking guys on and not beating them. Um, it just, it was just a very flat game. I think flat is the best way I would describe it from that, from that front four. Um, Cal, what was, what was your thought? I think from the quality of the players that we know they can be, um, because we've seen it firsthand, I, I think flat's probably being a bit kind, to be honest, Steve. I mean, <laughs> it, it was poor. It was poor from, from the front four. Um, we all know what they can do. We, we've seen them in the past um, absolutely tear teams apart. And and we got a, a little example of it with, with supporting cast of the fullbacks as well, with, with Mitanier providing the assist for, for Fragapane. But um, Akindra and I, had, I think we were in, in agreement in, in saying in the post-game show that um, the simple fact of the matter is the big players didn't touch the United on Sunday. Um, Emmanuel Reynoso was a shadow of himself. Um, I don't think I've ever seen somebody give the ball away as much as Franco Fragapane did on that particular afternoon. Um, and I thought Robin Lourdes and, and Adrian Unu were, were non-existent. That, that there was nothing. There was no creativity. There was no spark. There was nothing. And um, I don't know if that's 
um, a combination of of the Timbers thwarting the efforts, but um, I, uh, as well as them not not playing particularly well. But but either way, regardless of it's it it wasn't good enough. I didn't think from the attacking quartet up front. And Kendra quite rightly said, um, if Minnesota were to ever advance and and go far in the playoffs, they they needed consistency from that front four. Um, now they've had time to play alongside each other. I, I know it was the irritation from Adrian Heath and the coaching staff that they hadn't for the majority of the season, but leading into this, they'd had a, a decent amount of football alongside each other. Now, I know that Robin Lord was obviously away on international duty, um, and then he, he flew halfway across the world and then across the country to, to play again. It's not ideal. Um, but but these are the situations that that you have to, to deal with. You know, Minnesota weren't the only team that had to deal with that in the playoffs, um, and they're going to have to deal with that moving forward because, FIFA ain't ever going to change their international dates, so it's one of them where you just have to deal with it. Um, but going back to that um, that third Timbers goal, yes, it's a, it's a lovely strike from Blanco that there's nothing you can do, and I agree with what you're both insinuating, that there's little Dane St. Clair, and even if it was Tyler Miller in goal, there's little any goalkeeper can do about a strike like that. But the build-up to it was, in my opinion, it, it was so avoidable. Um, again, when you go back and have a look at it, Fragapane gives the ball away near the halfway line and stops, as does Emmanuel Reynoso. They both stop. And it caused a problem because the Minnesota United, the team, were in transition at that, set, at that time. Um, Homo Metanier was, was high up the field looking to join in. Chase Gasper was, was out of position because he was, he was pushing up looking to join in. Uh, Ozzy Alonso was already a little deeper, but Will Trapp was, was joining in as well. So all of a sudden, there's this massive gap in the central midfield. And you see, when you go back and look at it, Blanco has three, four touches before he's, he's able to strike the ball. And I, I don't think that's that's good enough. I, I know Adrian Heath and co won't be satisfied with that. Will Trapp will, will be irritated as well because um, it, it shouldn't happen. Um, like I said, I'm taking nothing away from the strike at all because the, the strike itself was, was beautiful. But the build-up, I thought, was totally avoidable from Minnesota United. I thought it was borderline unacceptable that, that Fagapane gave the ball in, away in the manner in which he did and didn't track back. Reynoso turns and almost starts to walk back. Um, it, it's not what Minnesota United needed in that situation. I, I just thought that third goal was was totally avoidable. Will Trapp is is trying to to cover uh, to the left of, of Blanco. He's not sure if he's going to potentially play the ball out wide to the overlapping uh, Bravo. Uh, Ozzy Alonso and, and Baka Di are, are jockeying and dropping because they're thinking he's getting closer and closer to goal. Really, somebody should have stepped, but it, it's one of those situations where <laughs> if you step and he... And he goes past you and plays a ball in, then, then you say, well, maybe I should have carried on jockeying. So it's one of those things. But um, I, I just thought um, uh, almost inexcusable for Fragapane to give the ball away in the manner in which he did there and, and not track back. Um, that's something that's going to have to be addressed for sure moving forward. And, and, and like I said, then what it, what it did is it forced everybody to, to hurry back. You can see in the clip, shows Gasper rushing back in to cover from his attacking position and, um, because Minnesota were in transition, it, it just really, really caused them all sorts of issues. It was you, you couldn't have really picked a worse time to give the ball away. And like I said, I, I can absolutely understand the irritations um, from many with with Fragapane. And, and I'm going to throw Reynoso in that situation as well. As good as they've been from an attacking point of view this year, defensively there, it's not good enough. Yeah. Um, well, real, real quick, Steve. You know, yeah. Cal and I, you, you and I talked about this, and and I, it's almost like that moment felt like a microcosm of sort of the way the second three quarters of the game went for me because just too much walking. I'd be curious to see Franco Fragapane and Reynoso's trackers and what their work rate was and what kind of running they were doing 
compared to some of the other games. And we've all had bad games. We've all had crap games where you've had a poor touch every time the ball comes to you. But the one thing you can always control, and it sounds cliche, but it's how hard you work. You can have the worst game in the world from an attacking standpoint, but how good are you going to be defensively? And what are you doing to help your teammates out? And what a luxury if you're Emmanuel Reynoso and you're, and you're Franco Fregapane to give the ball away time and time again and just walk back and not have to and not have to try to recover it. And that's what it felt like in this game, which was really disheartening because normally I am constantly praising those two for their def- the work on the defensive side of the ball and their willingness to do the work. And how many times have we had to say, you know, and Adrian's had to say, Reynoso, you want, he wants him to stay up higher, not just to find the game, you know, and check back. He wants him to stay up higher and not defend as, as often because you have a player like Will Trapp or Ozzy Alonso that can do that for you. And usually Ray always wants to defend and Franco wants to defend and win the ball back. But that just wasn't the case. And I felt for the back line for Minnesota United, I felt for Will Trapp and Ozzy Alonso because they were left hanging out to drive time and time again. And they're just chasing the game. And then when they win it, you know, the, the giveaways happen again. So it was really just disappointing in, in that in that scenario. And, and like I've said, the one thing you can always control is how hard you work on the field. And yeah, I mean, should Will Trapp maybe get closer to Blanco when he struck it? Well, yeah, I mean, easy for us to say. But like ultimately when Blanco's coming at that kind of rate of speed and Will Trapp has been running his tail off, it's hard to find your form and find your footing. We've seen, you know, um, Boxel and Debassi have to deal with that uh, as well, you know, with the amount of running that they're doing. And then you've got one of the best players in the league coming at you in a one, you know, one V one situation. So that would, to me was uh, really disheartening. And it, it just felt like not the players that we're used to seeing in Fragapane and Reynoso. And unfortunately they have to be their best or, you know, at least trying um, for this team to, to be success successful can, you know, consistently. Yeah, the uh, the the world trap thing reminds me of how you know, like in the NBA, if if somebody's getting dunked on, it's like, or it was like, oh, he got dunked on. It's like it's because somebody else didn't pick up the guy. You know, like that's that's usually a breakdown. You know, if a little guy gets dunked on by a big guy, that that little guy's stepping in there because somebody wasn't doing their job farther up the court. So, um, yeah, it's- I, I thought it was fine, Steve. Sort of, I, I thought I thought Will Trap was in that situation that there's not much he can do. He, he's yeah. been left exposed there big time, as as we're sort of right. alluding to, and it's one of those situations where you know. Again, Alonso, because of how deep he was, he was essentially along the back line then. And what should have happened really is somebody should have stepped. But again, as I said, hindsight's twenty twenty, and um, maybe at one stage, if somebody did step and Blanco goes around, and then someone's exposed, like it, you know, it's just one of those things. And 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 for, for me, the the strike was was unbelievable. It was a great strike. Um, but as I sort of said, for me, that the build up was was very very avoidable. Yeah. Any uh, any closing thoughts on this game before I move on to some other stuff? Um, I, I think, um, like I said, it, it doesn't take too much analysis, really, in my opinion, to to understand that, that the the bigger players from Minnesota United, in my opinion, didn't turn up, uh, whereas the players for Portland Timbers did. Um, I, I thought Ozzy Alonso was superb and gave another great account of himself. I don't care how old he is, 36, mm-hmm. uh, turning 37 next year, give him another deal. Um, he just offers so much on, on the field, more so on the field than I think many expected this year. It was like the, sure. the Ozzy Alonso uh, when he was in his prime at the Sounders, I thought. Over the, the last three, four months, I think he's been wonderful uh, and, 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 in my opinion, warrants a, a new deal. Um, I don't know the situation, what, what's what's going to happen, um, but for, for me, bring him in for another year. And, and maybe next year, maybe 2022, 
we will get the Aussie Alonso that we sort of expected this year, where he he gets minutes here and there and plays on the road from time to time. But but for, for me, he, he's absolutely proven that he can still play at this level, um, and also what he brings in in the locker room, what what he brings off the field as well. It, it, it's almost invaluable, Steve. So I, I hope there's a role moving forward for Aussie Alonso because uh, he was he was immaculate. I thought Boxall and Tibassi were good as well. Um, I thought Homo Metinier was good as well, pressing forward. He gave Espria so, so many problems. And, and when you go back and have a look at it, the, the time then when the Timbers got going on that side, when Espria had a bit of space, and I say this with all due respect, was when Hassani Dotson came on. Dotson was, was exposed straight away, hardly had the opportunity to get up the field um, because he had to, to think about the ball on, on the defensive side of things uh, because Espria is so quick and kind of getting behind you. So... I, I thought Metinier, Alonso, the two centre-halves were good. Um, but for, for me, it's the front four that, that I, I thought were, were nowhere near the quality we know they can be. Yeah. Um, Kendra, anything else you wanted to say? Or we will just move on to some other fun things? Yeah, I mean, I think we're good. I mean, I, okay. it was disappointing. That was all. Yeah. That was, you know, it's it's you just don't want it to leave a bad taste in your mouth because there was too many good things about this season and too yeah. many good things about this team that you want to try to flip the script and, and try to focus on the positive. All right, well, let's move on. and let's. Put, well, right now we're going to focus on MLS uh, playoffs a little bit. We'll go quick through this, uh, just looking at sort of how the playoffs are shaping up now. Um, you've got Colorado uh, facing the Portland Timbers. Uh, Kendra, I'll start with you. Quick prediction, who goes through in this game, Colorado or Portland? I, I got to go with Colorado. I mean, and Portland is flying right now. They've got some momentum. It's a quick turnaround for them playing Sunday, Thursday. Um, and so there's always that argument about too much time off versus not enough time off in Colorado. But I mean, I think Robin Frazier and what he has done with this group is just incredible. And we've gotten, we've had the pleasure of talking with Robin Frazier a few times and sometimes you're know, not in the regular media availability, but separate. And he's been very candid and honest with, with us on, on how he's gone about things. And I'll never forget two things from Robin Frazier. One that he said when they lost at Minnesota in the, playoffs last year he stood on the field and he wasn't even mad about it because he knew that that's where his team was in that moment and that they were going to get better so them losing in that game at that time was probably accurate and the other thing he used the word compliant he said his group is compliant and that's what makes them so good is everybody knows and understands their roles and they're okay with it and even when they have to switch roles and move around and and fill in for guys that are injured or absent that everybody has been you know uh, right along with the game plan. So I'm going Robin Frazier and Colorado Rapids on, on this. And, um, you know, I just think it's going to be a tough turnaround for Portland, but it's going to be time for this one to end for Portland Timbers. And it's going to be Colorado Rapids. All right. Cal, Colorado or Portland. I'm going to play devil's advocate and go with Portland actually. Okay. Um, and, okay. and I, I don't disagree with, with anything Kendra said there. There's every reason to think the Rapids will do this because it feels as though, that group is, is one of the tightest in Major League Soccer. And I'm intrigued to see what they do in terms of formation, how they plan to tackle the Timbers. Um, you know, they, they, they've, they've operated a, in a 4-2-3-1 usually at home. Um, but I, I just think that the thing that the Timbers can probably do a little better than others um, through the likes of uh, Paredes and at times maybe Diego Chara, depending on, on whose turn it is to step. Um, I think if they limit the touches that Jack Price has on the ball, uh, Jack Price dictates and he, he absolutely gets uh, the Colorado Rapids going through the center of midfield. Um, pings a lovely diagonal pass more often than not to the wide players. Uh, Jonathan Lewis, uh, Michael um, Barrios has has absolutely, they've both um, taken advantage of, of his passing range this year. 
So I, I wonder if they limit the amount of times that Price is on the ball, uh, then I, I think they, they could be okay. I also think that Portland Timbers have got a match winner or two more uh, in terms of individuals in their team uh, than Colorado Rapids do. But it's Major League Soccer, so who knows? <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. I, I know I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get this as, as quick as possible. So we can say no analysis. I know you guys love analysis. Cal. RSL versus Seattle. I'm going to go. It, it, it's at Salt. No, it's at Seattle, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to go for Real Salt Lake. I'm going to go for the shock here. Ooh. I really think it could be a set piece goal. It could be a shock, yeah. All right. Kendra, RSL or Seattle? Oh. I'm going Seattle. It's got Seattle. to be Seattle for me. I'm going Seattle because I don't like RSL. So I just want David <laughs> Ochoa to lose uh, every time. Oh, uh, that's, basically. that's a fair point. Cal, I can't believe you're a fan of David Ochoa. Cal just picked David Ochoa to win the whole thing. Can you believe it? Oh, man. <laughs> All right, we're not going to deal with the next round there because the too many. Because um, now you've each picked one, so I don't know who SKC is even going to play. Let's go to the East uh, Eastern Conference, uh, just the next games we've got coming up. Uh, Nashville and Orlando, who do you like? Kendra, I'm going to start with you again. Don't analyze it. Just tell me, Nashville or Orlando. I'm going Nashville. I mean, I just think, oh, sorry. No, no analysis. I'm going Nashville. <laughs> and they can't draw, so they do have to find a way to win. Right, yeah. What, what about you, Cal? Nashville, Hani Mukhtar is incredible. Yeah. That's I, not it's, fair. You let him analyze. You let him say Hani Mukhtar's name. I was going to say that. I was just going to say. no analysis. It's all on Jimmy Watson. <laughs> I, think, I think Jimmy Watson is the real star <laughs> that carries Nashville uh, in the in playoffs. So, um, all right. Kendra, I will let you analyze this one. New England versus NYCFC. If you have some some tidbits you want to throw in there, tell me. New England Revolution, Bruce Arena. That's all I got. Well, I mean, we could go Carlos Hill. We could go Gustavo Bo. Um, sure. We could go goalkeeper of the year. Um, but I think this the only thing, the only caveat would just be this insane amount of rest that they've had, the layoff. Sure. But I right. think Bruce Arena has got it. He'll have his team ready and they'll be ready to go. Don't don't bet against Bruce. Although Cal, let me go to you, and maybe you'll bet against Bruce. Who? I I really I really really want to say New York City FC. I really do, just because <laughs> they're so good in transition. Castellanos is scoring goals for fun right now, but it, it, you just can't go against Bruce Arena right now, can you? You just can't. And the the form that Carlos Hill is in, uh, Buxer and Bo have been so consistent this year um, in the big moments when they've needed to be. Um, I, I'm going to go. This one goes to extra time. Uh, and maybe even penalties, but but ultimately, I think the Revs will just about come out on top. Okay. All right. Fair, fair. All right. We'll leave it there for now. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right, we're going to collapse these last two sections for a little bit of uh, assessing the season overall and and going forward, uh, just so we're not getting this. This this doesn't get too ridiculous. Um, Looking back at the season, Cal and I did a little bit of this uh, prior to uh, the playoff game, but now knowing that the the playoffs are are out of the the picture now for Minnesota United. I wanted to start. You've you've both been with this team since 2017, as as long as as I have as well. Do you feel? This maybe is the leading question. Was this the first season where the team didn't 
live up to reasonable expectations for the team, given that in, I, I think they overperformed actually, even as bad as it was in the first year. And then we're kind of about performed about where they would expect the next year and then had two very good years. Um, and I'm not intending to bury the team necessarily because every team goes up and down, but was this, was this the first year Kendra that they didn't quite hit what we thought they would hit there at the beginning? Well, it's interesting because we answered a, a very similar question on the postgame show, the radio, in the sense that what what do you consider this this season a success or not? And I consider it not a success just because of that very reason, the standard and the expectation that has been set, not just by us as analysts and people that look and watch and follow and work for the team, but even from Adrian Keith himself. And I don't know if he'll deem it a success or not. I, I haven't asked Adrian that, but knowing how they went into the season. And, and I know they maybe overperformed last year, making it to the Western conference final, but at the same time, 2020 was pretty wonky. So anybody who survived the way 2020 went and, and made it into the postseason, it was pretty spectacular with the ups and downs that they had. But I think that with this roster in this quality and the preseason and the expected nature and the return uh, of some of these players that you could lean on, and really, you know, lean into, as, as Chris Wright likes to say, that I felt like this was not a successful season because they shouldn't have been in the position of, you know, sitting in fifth, going on the road for a post postseason game. I think that it should have been, the, the standard should have been hosting a playoff game, getting a top seed. Um, and, and with this quality of roster, that, that should have been the expectation going in. And it's not going to be good enough going forward to just to make the postseason. The expectation at some point has to be to win trophies. And I, I think that this team is good enough and this staff is good enough, this club is good enough to have that expectation. So from that standpoint, I would consider it not a success and maybe a little bit underperforming for the group that that they had in front of them. Yeah. Cal, your, uh, your thoughts on that? I'm torn because I think um, anytime any team gets into the playoffs, it's it's a good season in my opinion. But I think the preference, as, as we all have said in the past, uh, would have been a home playoff game. Um, it, and I think about the other teams that, that didn't even make the playoffs, you know, the money that the LA Galaxy and LAFC have spent. Um, it was proof of how difficult the Western Conference was this year. So I think Minnesota United should be praised for making the playoffs for sure. Um, whether I view that as success, I, I don't know, Steve, because... We said this on the post-game show, Kendra, and I. I wonder at what point do we start to to deem it um, unsuccessful? At what point do we start to say we, we perhaps need a little bit more now? Um, I don't know if it's this year because it feels as though it feels as though Minnesota United are so so close to getting it absolutely right. It feels as though they are. I know we've heard it so many times, like one or two pieces. <laughs> I, I say that in all sincerity and, and, and seriousness. It, it does feel as though they are one or two players away from from being really, really a top-draw Western Conference team. Um, and also now moving forward, I, I wonder what happens. If we, we've already mentioned Ozzy Alonso uh, and somebody like a Michael Boxall as well, who's going to be 34 next year. I feel like there's a window where you, you're going to be using these players now for, for maybe the last year. Um, maybe two years, depending on how how well they they keep themselves and, and their bodies. Um, and I hope that they would take advantage of, of those in particular two that I've mentioned, but but other players as well. I mean, Homo Mitenier is going to be thirty two as well. Uh, Dibasi will be thirty three. Um, 
So that that that's my only sort of concern moving forward. But if they keep themselves fit, I I, I think they'll be okay. But I I think I, I would say it's been a successful year in terms of getting to the playoffs. That that ultimately would have been the one that you would have said, right, let's get into the playoffs. But I can absolutely see the counter-argument in terms of why it hasn't been successful because it feels as though this more than anything this season feels like, yep, yeah, okay, they've gotten into the playoffs, great. That, that's a successful year for anybody in, in Major League Soccer, getting into the playoffs. But the standards that this club has set themselves over the course of, of the last year or so, um, yes, they, I agree they overachieved getting to the Western Conference final last year. They had no right to get to that Western Conference final last year, and yet they did. Um, playing a false nine up front and, and, and getting to the Western Conference final. No, no, no one should ever do that, you know, but and yet, and yet they did. So, um, I, I, and still doing it for, you know, a good sort of a third of the season, still playing a false nine and not having a, a proper centre forward until Adrian Unu arrived. And, and people know how I feel about that. Now I'm still not convinced he's a natural centre forward. I'm not saying he, he can't learn and get better. And it seems as though he's getting more comfortable um, week by week. Um, but, I, I don't know, Steve. Um, I know this is a fairly long-winded answer. I apologise. Um, I just <laughs> I find it really hard to to answer this because I can sure. see why people would say it's a success, but I can also see because of the amount of points dropped, um, particularly at, at Allianz Field this year, I can see why people would deem it unsuccessful and say that Minnesota perhaps should have been in, in a better position um, in terms of perhaps. Um, and the expectation was there for it um, to, to have been hosting uh, a playoff game. Um, I, I can absolutely see why why that argument would be there. So um, I, th- there's the answer. I don't know if it's a yes or no for me, Steve. I, I'm yeah. I'm not sure. It, it's such a difficult one to answer. Yeah, I think the thing the thing for me is that you know, and again, I sort of looking at, at the the team's uh, sort of success over the the history of the franchise in MLS. The team has gotten better every year. I think we can basically agree with that. The idea that the talent has improved season over season. And, uh, you know, again, I think they sort of shocking as it may have been actually outperformed what, what they should have been expected in their first season. Um, I know they Mm -hmm. conceded a record number of goals, but they also actually won a good number of games overall. Um, at the second season was basically level with that, uh, even though the team probably got a little better overall. So that was a little disappointing, but again, it was, they, they weren't that great to begin with. And it felt like 2019 was like a real ascendant year. And then you're right. I think 2020, there was the, the sort of an overperformance uh, of getting to the Western conference, uh, you know, final there. But I, if I think about this season, if I imagine that you had in 2019, a first round exit and a home playoff game, if last year had meant making the playoffs and another home playoff game, and losing in the first round. And then this season, your team got better again, and you lost in the first round on the road. I think that's underperforming, like based on the season and and the expectation we had of a top four finish. It's tough. It's like winning those, that success sort of raises those expectations. It's almost as if games change goals. Oh, did you hear that? I flipped (laughs) it around on you. Anyways, (laughs) that's it. I'm going to just walk off the podcast now. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the, the a question that came up earlier, inconsistency, uh, and the question of inconsistency. Now, I am someone who has been around for Darwin Quintero and Ibsen uh, and even 
occasionally Kevin Molino, I'd say over his time with Minnesota, I've seen inconsistent players individually where they'll have a torrid run of form and then just not be contributing to anything else. It doesn't feel like that's really the issue here. I feel like it wasn't sort of like an individual players who just sort of, I mean, there's game to game. There's some element of that. The inconsistency was a very sort of team-wide thing where I think as Kendra rightly pointed out, to start a first half or to start a second half or something like that, it would just feel like something was off. It's a team of veterans with experience of guys who are great leaders from Ozzy Alonzo to Michael Boxall to Will Trapp. Where, where does that consistency, I mean, obviously there's things to address in terms of free agency and as Cal said, the, the, you know, pieces here and there. Where do you think that consistency can come from Kendra going forward into next season beyond necessarily just adding an incredibly talented center forward or something like that. Well, I will say this about, about the group is that the inconsistency for me was more on the offensive side of the ball. And I get this is a team sport, probably more so than, than most sports. But when you look at the back line and you talk about veteran leadership and, and people that have been in this game for a long time, most of those people that you're referencing are in the back line or in the holding midfield roles. Sure. And except for like Ethan Finley and he was sometimes a starter, sometimes not. Right. And so for me, I think that it was lacking consistency in the quality of performance in the attack. And that was as a unit that was as a front four. And then whoever maybe the, the central midfielder would be that would join in. And I think that it got, it started to wear on the defense a little bit. The fact that you couldn't find goals and get goals sure. consistently, you know, it, it, I use the baseball reference all the time, pitching, pick, picking up your hitting and hitting, pick, picking up your pitching. Like, and I think the defense time and time again, just felt like when is our moment going to come where we could be picked up by the offense. And so I ultimately, it just, it started to wear on them a little bit. And I, for the first time a few weeks ago, I heard Michael Boxel say, we're just not, I think it was after the Vancouver game, which we all know was like an abysmal performance on the road at Vancouver, just same mm -hmm. kind of thing, kind of, you know, where you just were shocked at the team that show up, showed up in that scenario in that kind of moment. And Michael Boxler just said, we're not scoring enough goals. And it's, it's a fact. They feel like they can't let one goal in without feeling like they might not win the game, you right. know? And so I think there's a pressure there. And so from consistency standpoint, they've got to find consistency in the tacking third half of the field and it's not just score recreating chances it's scoring them and having players that you know you can put on your back you can bury the chances you can count on this guy or that guy to score the late game winner to get the goal when you need it to really put the team on their back and that for me is where the consistency aspect was lacking so yeah I mean I'm not just saying we need a number nine that we know can score because there are other teams that you know have had scoring by committee Colorado is an example of that and even you know, if you look in New England, they've, they've got a very, some of the pieces are relatively average. And then you've got your one or two, you know, two and a half stars that light it up and you can rely on. So mm -hmm. I think that it's just a team, it's a team aspect thing from an attacking standpoint, that is where they were lacking consistency. And I think it wore the whole team down. That's kind of how I feel about it. You didn't know which attack was going to show up. Yeah. What's, what's, what's your uh, take on that Cal? Yeah, it, it's difficult to argue, isn't it? Um, it? It's the one issue that this team has had for several years now is having a natural goal scorer up front um, because they've not struggled to create chances. I, I actually think, and, and I've said this before, if Emmanuel Reynoso had um, a, a centre-forward up front uh, ahead of him that, that was a natural goal scorer, I think his numbers may very well have doubled this year 
in terms of assists. Um, so I, I also think as well um, at fullback, um, they were fine from a defensive standpoint, as, as Kendra's alluded to. No issues there. Attacking wise, though, I, I'm not sure, given how important the fullbacks are in this system that Adrian Heath has implemented. I'm not sure they got enough out of the fullbacks this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I think you can count on one hand the amount of assists both Gasper and Mittenier um, were able to, uh, to to deliver this year. Um, that that's got to get better. That has to get better because the fullbacks they are so important in transition and uh, from an attacking perspective in this team. Um, like I said, I, I thought they were fine in terms of they provided plenty moving forward. Um, but just not enough that the deliveries haven't been better. And I say this off the back of Mittenier providing an assist, but um, mm. it, it wasn't consistent enough for me, the fullbacks, from an attacking point of view. Um, and if this system is going to be the one that that they continue to, to implement, uh, I think perhaps they need to find a way of getting more from an attacking perspective from those two fullbacks moving forward. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, it depends a lot on, on what happens in terms of what kind of forward uh, you either think the team will get or the kind of forward that Adrian O'Neill can become. Um, it, I think we've seen that just getting your fullbacks up onto the wings and lumping in crosses is not really successful football at this point. Um, it's, I almost thought early on, sort of before Portland really sort of grabbed the game by the scruff of its neck, they were doing a favor to Minnesota by not really letting them get those crosses off. Um, they were sort of, they were playing pretty wide and keeping them out of those wide areas, which forced Minnesota inside, which actually was essentially what led to the goal. You don't see Metnir running down the end line very often. It was, it was sort of unorthodox. Um, and it just seems like we've seen teams occasionally, you know, letting Minnesota take the wings and just pound in crosses that don't find anybody or can't find somebody who can, who can head the ball home. So, um, and then the, the, the forward thing, I, I did do a little uh, digging on this one. Um, the, so the forward position, I'm not counting Darwin Quintero uh, as a, as a true forward since he didn't really, I mean, he's listed as a forward on the all-time roster, but he didn't, he didn't play the nine. Um, everybody, they all have accounted for 50 goals in Minnesota's five years, 50 goals from the forward position. Um, Christian Ramirez accounted for 21 of those. Okay. So everybody else, Abila, Agadello, Brandon Allen, your friend and mine, Luis Amaria, uh, Unu, uh, Kai Kamara, Foster, good old Foster Langsdorf, now retired, uh, Angelo Rodriguez, Aaron Schoenfeld, Mason Toy, and Patrick Wea, 29 goals total from all those people together. And obviously Patrick way hasn't has played 20 minutes in his entire <laughs> career. Uh, you know, Foster Langsdorf played, I think 10 minutes or something like that. So not all equal, but really it's not a lot of goals out of the forward position over five years is, is basically all I would say. And so something has to happen there. Um, uh, any, any thoughts on that closing thoughts? I'm not, we're not, we, let's not get into too much going forward as far as what's going to happen next year. We can save that for after things have happened with, with the roster. We'll do another podcast on that, but uh, closing thoughts on this season, Kendra, I'll go to you first. Well, first, I think just I think that that's a position that they need to get right going forward, whatever that means and however that evolves itself. I think that they need to get that one right. And I think the numbers you just stated, you know, clearly emphasize that. Secondly, I think that this that we can't be all this is my personal feeling on this. I know I said this, you know, technically it doesn't deem a success for me, but I think that this was still a fabulous season and this is a great roster. It has a lot of quality on it. It has a lot of 
you know, technical ability. I think the leadership of this group, I think that the camaraderie of this group, the heart of this group, the energy that we, we saw and we got from most games and most training sessions. Um, so I don't want to be like all downtrodden on it because I feel like this, this last game is leaving a poor taste in my mouth and leading me to sort of focus on more of the negatives than the positives, because I do think that this is a pretty quality group and that, um, I think that 2022 can only be better and can only get better. And I think that the expectation is going to continue to be there and that for this team to be great and not good, the consistency is going to have to come. But I think that this uh, group is more than more than capable of, of getting there and being that group. Uh, yes, I agree. Thank you for bringing a note of positive positivity to it. Again, I really like this group. I had a great long chat with Will, uh, on the road and, and he's a terrific guy. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seems likely he'll be back next year and I, I just really appreciate his, his leadership. And so, uh, yeah, it is, it is a good group. Uh, a lot of what they have, you know, I think all of us can attest to, different than the early teams, not just in terms of the quality of the team, but the vibe and the sense of who all these guys are and that they're, they're, they're all working hard together. I think that's certainly coming through. And if it's not coming through in results uh, in the first round of the playoff series, we're talking about Cal uh, closing thoughts from you. I thought the season was good. I didn't think it was great. And I think ultimately when I look back on this season, I, and I'm assuming a lot of other people will always say, what if? Um, and that's a real shame because, as we've all alluded to, this this group is a good group of players. Um, but but as I'd insinuated earlier on, Steve, I, I do think they are legitimately a player or two away from, from being a real powerhouse in the Western Conference. And as we've said before, it's no secret what they need is they need someone to put the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis. They created so many chances, particularly when Fragapane entered the fray as well. They created so many opportunities. The issue was they didn't have anybody to put that ball away. Um, hopefully they address that. I know there's there's things in the works for sure. Um, hopefully that the club can get a centre forward in. Uh, I personally would hope for two centre forwards in because I think um, competition is never a bad thing. Um, and I just wonder what this team's going to look like moving into to preseason, which is legitimately just around the corner in January. So, um, turn around. I, yeah. <laughs> but no, ultimately, as I said, Steve, for me, I thought it was a good year. I didn't think it was great. Um, I'm probably always going to look back on this season thinking, what if? Yeah. Yeah. The whole, uh, you know, a player or two. And I, uh, sometimes I feel like it's like, Oh, that's what we were saying before this season. But it's like, if you got Franco Fragabane and Adriano new, and if a new had, had sort of been the second player, I think you got one. I think Franco Fragabane, you know, um, you know, this past game aside, has been fantastic on the left wing, much better than most of the left wing options. So yeah, maybe you're still a player or two away, but you know, again, if, if it goes down a little bit, that gives you room to get back up again. Right. So man, this is the turnaround is brutal. It's like three months to the start of the next season. Like that's going to be, that's going to come real fast. So um, nine well, weeks guys, nine weeks. Oh, Jesus. Well, I mean like the first get anyways, I'm not gonna think about it right now. I got That's stuff. That's preseason. That's I've got, preseason. I got stuffing to make this week. I can't deal with this <laughs> stuff. All right. Um, <laughs> thanks everyone for joining us for the 164th Sound of Balloons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow Kendra at Kendra Sports and you can follow me at Steve Ventress. Apologies, as always, to Ricardo Wagner. I'm going to pronounce it correctly from now on. And remember, 
There's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.